This podcast is for informational purposes only and does not constitute legal, tax, investment, financial, or other advice. It is not intended to cause or induce breach of an existing agency agreement. The goal of this podcast since day one is to provide the best information on the Vancouver real estate market at no cost to you, the listeners. To that end, we'd like to thank the following sponsors. This podcast is sponsored by Marcon, a local family-owned and managed real estate development and construction company that's been around for nearly four decades. Marcon is not only committed to high-quality construction, but it also is making a positive impact in the communities in which it builds all across the Lower Mainland. We want to highlight two incredible Marcon projects. Elmwood, a 38-story tower located at Burquitlam's most important intersection, Como Lake Avenue and Clark Road. This landmark tower will feature 335 condominiums, over 37,000 square feet of office and retail space, and almost 20,000 square feet of amenity space. Elmwood has been incredibly popular with 80% sold currently, but they still have a great selection of junior one-bedroom all the way to three-bedroom homes remaining. Check out markon.ca slash Elmwood for more. And Matt, we are also excited about Sone House, Markon's newest community in West Coquitlam. With 165 homes ranging from junior one beds to three beds, Sone House offers the perfect West Coast aesthetic with a more nuanced Nordic-inspired design. Register today at markon.ca slash Sonehouse. That's S-O-E-N-H-A-U-S. Or you can learn more at markon.ca or follow them at Instagram at markonhomes. Markon, building for life. Hello? 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 This is the Vancouver Weather State Podcast. And welcome back to Vancouver Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Adam Scalina. And I'm your host, Matt Scalina. And Matt, clearly you are not in the Kokomo studios today. It sounds like you are coming live from perhaps your living room. Uh, you know what? I, 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 exactly. I'm trying to avoid the uh, the TV that's been on all day. My kid uh, was exposed, or or at least they seem to think she was exposed. COVID. Uh to COVID right. uh, with somebody in her class basically last week. And it's kind of crazy. Like they, they call you and now she's self-isolating for 10 days. She's five days into it or whatever already. She hasn't had no signs that she's ill at all. But, um, but we basically are locked up. Uh, and in this case, it's me and her. So it's uh, just when I thought I was out, they pulled me back in situation for me here. Uh, back to teaching now grade five math, quite a bit more challenging than grade four. And um, and trying to uh, hide every screen and cookie in the house all day long while I also try to work myself. So, yeah, a lot of fun. Um, I, I'm, I'm, ready like, for, uh, I'm ready for this isolation to be over. Yeah. Here's the thing. If you're still teaching math in grade 12, this pandemic's gone too too long. This is this is, and also you're you're not capable of teaching grade twelve. Math. I was gonna say that sounds sounds like it's above my pay grade. Yeah, this is, but uh, it this is crazy, right? I mean, it's it's. Uh, I think we're all getting a little sick of this, but um, it, it's been an interesting time. I wish you were in the studio today because today's guest 
is uh, guests, I should say, plural, because we've got Ryan Lalonde, he's the president, and Cameron McNeil is the executive director at MLA Canada. These guys are past guests, fan favorites. Um, we've had them on the program a few times, and I always love having Ryan and Cameron on the show because these guys make bold predictions. They have the stats to back it up. And you know what? They're often right. In fact, I don't think we've ever had anything said on the show that didn't turn out to be true. That, well, so yeah, and let's dig into that a bit because we talk a little bit about what uh, what differentiates MLA from their their competitors in the the marketing of pre-construction here in Vancouver and British Columbia during the talk at, right at the beginning. But I mean, the thing I think that sticks out for me when when thinking about MLA is one, the technology, uh, how they're kind of leading the pack, but two. This, the, the analysis, right? right? The rigorous analysis the that they, the, the data that they, that they have, that they provide, and the fact that they're willing to look at it and make bold, bold predictions. And let's talk about when they were on the show six months ago, because Ryan, uh, you know, they were both on the call. I remember it was Ryan who said it about what the market was going to do in the next one to three years. And I thought, man, these are bold predictions, but, but we're only six months in and, and where are we at with that? Well, Cameron stood by it too. I you, you often wonder oh, who yeah. who, no, who loads the gun Ryan, and who so. shoots it. I have no idea. But <laughs> but the, here's 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 the thing. They said six months ago that the market would do double digit growth in the next one to three years. That ended up being a headline on a couple different media outlets in in Vancouver. Um, namely, I think the Georgia Strait ran a story on it. So here's what's happened in the last six months. So if we look at the last six months. Residential composite for the lower mainland is up 10.3%. Single family detached homes in the lower mainland up 12.6%. Townhomes in the lower mainland up 13.1%. That's the benchmark price up 13.1% in the past six months. The only market that hasn't hit double digits since the uh, six months ago conversation that we had with Cameron and Ryan is the apartment category, which for the lower mainland is up 6.9%. But we should say in some areas uh, in the past year, in some areas in in condos, we've seen price increases of about 17%, some 13%, definitely double digit growth for sure in certain sub areas. So you would anticipate that in the next one to three years, they'll be bang on for for all markets they, they highlighted. Absolutely, and and but let's let's kind of break that down a little bit in terms of of condos because today's conversation we basically had them on specifically to talk about their thoughts on downtown Vancouver. They've basically isolated downtown Vancouver as the opportunity right now because really the question I think is uh, most of the time when people are looking at markets that have done ten to fifteen percent in the last you know six months to a year. You know, okay, well, and and this is a question we've asked on the show of you know a thousand times over. Where do you buy? Where are the opportunities right now? And today's episode is Ryan and Cameron coming back to talk about specifically the opportunity they see in the market right now, which is downtown Vancouver. Uh, let's let's highlight some stats, even just in the condo market, to outline how downtown has underperformed in terms of condos across the lower mainland. So in the last year, the lower mainland is up 9.3%, but certain markets have 
greatly outperformed, and they're probably the ones you can guess. Maple Ridge is up 17%. Pitt Meadows is up 16.4%. Poco's up 13%. Port Moody's up almost 14%. Squamish is over 15%. So it's not that condos are not performing well. It's where they're not performing well specifically, which is Vancouver West at 3.2%. So contrast that with 17% Maple Ridge. And uh, East Van, which is 4.8%. And if we look at Vancouver West, which includes downtown, arguably, I would say Kits and Fairview are the markets. That's basically the the, the horse that's dragging that market probably to even 3.2. I would say across the board, we're looking at kind of 2018 pricing in a lot of areas of Vancouver West and specifically downtown, there's been literally basically no growth. And in fact, the actual real estate board stats say in the last three months that we're down, we're down over a percentage point in the last three months in both East Van and on the West side. So when you contrast that to condos in the lower mainland, more generally, it's like an, Oh my God moment. What's going on here? This gap has, you know, this doesn't make sense anymore. Right. And it's clearly COVID related, I think, at least most would argue. And then secondly, when you contrast condos in East Van and the West Side versus townhomes and single family, it also doesn't make sense because those markets have been going crazy and are still going crazy. I feel like Vancouver is, and maybe this is the same in other markets, but it it feels like, you know, Always when we're thinking about this market over the past, you know, five years that we've been doing this show, in many cases, the story is the tale of two markets, right? And, and if you were going to make an argument for, for the tale of two markets here, it, it's, there's this kind of COVID induced hysteria that's going on right now, like the steroid injection into the townhome, half duplex, single family detached markets, which makes a lot of sense when you think about buying habits changing during COVID. And that's where we're seeing tons of activity, people kind of leaving density, going for more space, moving out. We've talked about it ad nauseum on this program. So there's that market. And then there's this second market, which is kind of downtown. It's historically a really busy part of our market, um, often kind of even the epicenter. And it's not that it's soft, but it, it's balanced in a, in a moment where, or fairly balanced in a moment where everything else seems to be going crazy. And this is all exasperated by the fact that we have such low inventory that it's hard to buy anything worth buying um, in, in many of the markets that we're monitoring. So just to put a finer point on it, you know, Inventory downtown wasn't great in the summer. Of course, we were waiting for the fall market. It seemed like, you know, across the board, everybody was thinking, okay, you know, when Labor Day hits, uh, when the fall market starts, it's going to be a different story, a lot more optimism, students coming back, the rents are actually increasing. Uh, Again, you know, there's all these, there's all these really positive signs, generally speaking, about kind of coming out of of the pandemic here and we thought that would translate to that market but the but it's there hasn't been a huge shift i would say generally speaking in the condo market downtown from august 20th to september 20th which is generally not the case usually it's much busier in september than in august and it feels relatively the same like the fall market is not really materializing and and i think it might be useful to contrast that with you know two kind of 
famous sales recently in East Vancouver. Famous for this week. <laughs> and it's, it's always and a different. For us too. <laughs> well, here, here's well, you know what we've had. I've had this conversation conversation with a number of people, many people that actually wrote on these properties because there's just so many offers. But you know, I mean, here here's here's maybe the best way to frame it. If we're going shopping to buy a condo downtown, you're going to have selection. You're probably going to have time. You're going to have the ability to, in many cases, depending on the pricing strategy, negotiate. And you're going to have some good selection right now. And, and you're and you're going to have properties that are on the market for 25, 30, 35, 40 days. I mean, I was just monitoring a smaller condo uh, that was holding off on offers till Tuesday. And that, they have an open house this coming week and they were priced very sharp. They didn't get any offers. So right. um, it's, it's, a, it's a very different feeling. That's for sure than anywhere else. Well, in the past week and a half, I've also written on a townhouse and a single family detached house, both in East Vancouver, both in Grandview Woodlands. The single family detached house was on a 30, 50 square foot lot, like a 25 footer. And the house was a small house. It was a small lot on a a small house on a small lot, like 21 and change square feet, 2,100 square feet or so. It was a two bedroom, one bath house with a suite. and you know, it and was a one bed suite. One bed suite, priced at one six nine nine. They ended up with, I think, eleven pre inspections. I can't even remember, but uh, you know, north of, I think, around fifteen offers or or whatever, just in that range. Maybe don't quote me, but it sold for two point two five. Which, and and a lot of people are going to be saying, well, well, what's market? Well, market's what I guess a buyer <laughs> pays and a seller is willing to accept. But at the end of the day. A lot of people that I spoke to uh, had pegged the market at a much different price of where where the thing actually landed. And um, let's just say people were surprised. People were surprised with the price that it achieved. Not that it wasn't a great house. Not that it wasn't a great pocket. But the reality is, is that we've got such low inventory and we've got so much demand for that type of product. Another example: townhouse wrote on yesterday. Beautiful townhouse, two bedroom, two and a half bath. 1058 square feet. So under 1100 square feet in Grandview Woodlands. Again, really, really nice street, nice pocket. Tons of people through overwhelming interest. They ended up with a bunch of pre-inspections. They ended up with over 10 offers at the end. And it sold for 1.27 for a two-bed townhome in East Vancouver. Uh, Again, uh, perhaps a surprising sale, but not a lot of inventory. And and this is the challenge. So I guess, uh, you know, we've been talking about this a while, but really, and we might be beating a dead horse here. The point is, is that when do you buy downtown? You buy downtown when no one's at the office or going into the office and no one's going to events and downtown feels kind of uh, slummy, which it kind of feels like right now. That's when you buy downtown. You don't buy downtown when it's thriving. And that's what we highlight today. And it feels like if you're going with the grain right now, you're going to have a really, really tough time finding something. You know, best of luck. It's it's complicated out there for home buyers. But if you're looking as an investor and you're thinking about downtown, it feels like a very, very great time to be monitoring the downtown market. Exactly. The opportunities, there's there's more than one opportunity out there right now. And I think a lot of people are going to be kicking themselves because it's so obvious. And and uh, we'll leave it to Ryan and Cameron to speak more about that. But just as a final thought, uh, this this townhome in in Grandview, you know, if you're paying 1200 a foot, 
you can buy downtown. You could you buy downhome downtown. <laughs> right. uh, you know, pretty close. You 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 can buy that. That's very high. That's a very high price per square foot. And it was a beautiful place, but it just it's more it's it's more the hysteria around this type of product, right? And and just the no inventory. I know there's a lot of buyers out there listening that are probably looking at real estate right now going like what is there to buy? And the reality is is maybe one house a week or one townhouse a week comes up that is worth writing on and uh you show up and there's 30 50 people through the open house and um it's just it's just an interesting time. Tail of two markets, that's for sure. Before we talk to Ryan and Cameron at length about the opportunities, and they almost have some, at one point in this conversation, they go street by street, right? It's not just hey, downtown is is looking really attractive. We we dig in uh, to exactly where and exactly why. But before we get to our talk with Ryan and Cameron. This podcast is sponsored this week, as it is every week, by Oakland Realty. This is our brokerage, best brokerage in town. Ryan Serhant yes. gave a talk. At He's Oakland the million-dollar uh, listing guy from New York. Yeah, very impressive real estate agent mogul, some would say. Uh, brokerage out of New York. owner. Uh, yep. Brokerage owner, uh, TV personality giving a talk to our brokers this morning, just really exciting stuff as always coming out of open realty. If you are a new agent and an aspiring agent, somebody just looking to make a change and you want to see Ryan Serhant and the likes uh, as resources uh, at your brokerage, head over to oakland.com slash join, type in VRP 2020. That's oakland.com slash join, type in VRP 2020. You'll meet Michael Morgan and the gang which is fantastic. And you also get a huge incentive for signing up at oakland.com slash join VRP 2020. But Adam, maybe we should, uh, we should cut to our talk. This is a long one. Ryan and Cameron were in the studio as I am not today, which was fantastic. I think that's always leads to a better conversation. And this is one not to be missed. Yeah. Where are the opportunities downtown? Which, uh, which streets which, which areas should you be investing your money in? This is a fantastic episode. Don't miss a minute of it. Okay, so we're here with Ryan Lalonde, President, and Cameron McNeil, Executive Director at MLA Canada. How are you both doing today? Doing fabulous. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks for for coming down to the studio. I know Ryan's been down here before, but Cameron, this is a first, but uh, both past guests, and I would say fan favorites. Yeah, and media favorites, because um, there was there was a few media, media stories that, that came out of that last episode, I Let, think. Let's talk more about that. <laughs> <laughs> Before we jump into uh, the conversation, you guys are with MLA Canada. Uh, you've been at Staples in the industry for a long time. Can you, can you start by telling us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, I'd love to. Uh, again, guys, thanks for having us on the show. And I love how the studio has changed. I, I, I got to comment on that. From where we were maybe two years ago to where we are now. We've had highs and lows. Yeah. We, we went from, we, yeah, we've changed. You the might have caught us at a low. Time. You caught us at a low. <laughs> a very low. A basement, In my life. A basement condo. <laughs> uh, yeah, exactly. I, I still think you guys got to be putting this out in some sort of video format as well because you guys are just treats to spend some time with. Uh, <laughs> um, well, we appreciate that. Yeah. We're, uh, we're, we're excited to be here too. Um, MLA. So we specialize in the sales and marketing of multifamily residential. The majority of our time is spent in uh, the Fraser Valley in the lower mainland. We have active projects though 
through all parts of British Columbia. And we have active advisory programs that reach across the country. You know, our role is really to work really closely with development partners that are bringing to life projects of all forms and scale, working closely with them to understand their visions, understand the relationship between the marketplaces that they're operating within and what the needs are of those home buyers in those critical communities. And, and how, do we, how do we bridge that gap and bring that to life together? Um, so we've spent the last 20 years, and, and that's something that's really important to us. We're celebrating that this year, 20 years in business. Wow. And what's really special about that from our perspective is that Cameron and I have, uh, Cameron and I have played a role in shaping some of the most sought after, and I think also some of the most unique real estate uh, throughout British Columbia and in parts of Canada. And that's something that just feels like a privilege to be part of. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I, I don't know the best way to put this, but I, I've always, you know, it's been in the back of my mind when I look at the major players in the pre-sale marketing side of the business. What's the difference between like you guys, Rennie, Magnum? This is a fantastic question. And, and often we, we uh, think about where we stand in the marketplace, but I'm going to start with, we've got one of the most sophisticated condominium development cities in the world. And Ryan and I have great pride of being able to excel and, and provide our professional services within that arena. And we have great respect for all players within that arena. And so um, the companies you mentioned, among others, um, are great service providers. But one of the things that Ryan and I are very, very conscious of is us maintaining our vision and being very, very clear about what we stand for and our values that we stand for. And so um, we could probably uh, break this down, a eh, Ryan, and do much more uh, long-winded details. But I think it really boils down to we are trying to create very meaningful real estate experiences for both our stakeholder developer partners and our consumers of, of housing. And when we do that consistently, regardless of where we are in a real estate cycle and the level of, of energy and professionalism that goes into the efforts that we do, I know we stand apart and we are extremely proud of our, our team. We've got over 100 people strong. And everybody's aligned with with that that vision and, and that strength. Yeah, I think I think that's that's really well said, right? We spend an incredible amount of time putting the relationships of our business uh, first with our development partners, and and we use that term um, purposefully, right? We we look at um, the clients that we do business with as partners, and we do our very very best to deeply understand what their vision is, and then how do we make sure that we can. Uh, work as hard as we can work to bring that to life. I think relationships is definitely one thing that Cameron's talked about that uh, really stands tall for us. There's a few other areas that I think that we we really hang our hat on. I think technology and advisory are two pieces that are also important parts of our puzzle. Advisory is something that's close to Cameron and my heart. It's also very close to our partners, Hart, Susanna Gonzalez and Shana McQuiston. And that's run by Jeff Gregg, our director of advisory. We have full-time analysts, full-time product design, and full-time directors of design that work within the organization. Their number one priority is to really understand at depth the communities that we're engaged in, to understand the home buyers that are active in those communities, and then how do we how do we work with a variety of stakeholders mm-hmm. to bring that to life? Technology is the other piece that we've spent a, a, an incredible amount of time on over the past 18 months. Actually, from the first time that we started on the show, we started talking right. about our technology platform. Well, when Cameron yeah. was on, he, he, it was right at the beginning of COVID. We were actually, uh, we were all in our bunkers, basically. That was like, that's still the time <laughs> when you were wiping down your groceries. I, like I, everybody, not yeah. just you. <laughs> I don't know if you were doing it. <laughs> I've always done that. Is yeah. that weird? <laughs> that was a great episode. And we talked a ton about how you guys were kind of 
not so much pivoting, but a lot of the, it, what it was is more of like a steroid though, injection into what you were already kind of doing. Yeah, as, as we said um, at that time, I recall those um, uh, trends were already afoot. And and as Ryan was talking about technology being a pivotal part of our business, we we always find that that um, we want to be very relevant, but pioneering in in the area of of technology. And it's something that is is a constant evolution for us, a constant drive for us. And when COVID hit, we were actually ready with that technology already. We were already doing a lot of sales activity remotely. And it was very easy for us to step right into that. It wasn't actually a pivot. It was just an, it was just an acceleration of the work that we were already doing. And as a result, we didn't miss a beat. We were just rolling right in into uh, that very unique situation. And, and we're very grateful that we were on top of technology at that time. Right. Because I guess people that weren't there are kind of playing catch up, right? Yeah. I think, I think all of us have different perspectives in this space around uh, what technology, what opportunities that technology can afford. And so with uh, really strong tailwinds in the marketplace, I think the industry really did adopt the notion that if it's if it's not broken, let's not fix it. We saw adjustments with COVID, and we also saw adjustments with the 2019 real estate correction. And out of that gave us an opportunity that we took advantage of. Uh, we launched MLA OI. That's our technology platform. It's an ecosystem uh, of how we collect data and how we deliver a far better and more innovative online experience. We began to roll that out in April and May of 2020 with huge adoption from our clients. And that really changed the way that we market and sell homes. From a customer experience standpoint, they began uh, buying real estate in slightly different ways around that time frame, And then we've continued to add on additional layers to it. I'm really excited though, that we're also just in the process uh, within the last week, we began to roll out MLA OI's platform for portal. This is a home buyer portal. And this is kind of a fun one. You can imagine that if you buy any product or service right now online, let's just say it's a bike. Buy a bike online, you can log in later and you can understand all the details of that transaction. You can understand when, you're, when it's being shipped. Uh, you can understand when you received it, you can see the receipts. You can probably even see how to service it. That's essentially what we've built as part of the most recent version of MLAOI and how, it, and how a home buyer can begin to interact in an on-demand way with their home from the time that they purchase all the way through to completion. It gives this really incredible direct line of sight for a home buyer into into their home, where it's at in construction, all the critical sites that need to happen. And then of course, being able to access any detail or information that they need to. And just another example of some of some of the, the big progress that we're really excited uh, that we've been making over the last six months. So, I mean, maybe changing gears here a little bit, but you guys were on the show about six months ago and a lot of people, we got a, tons of feedback on that episode because you, you said that the projection was in the next one to three years, we're going to see double digit growth in the lower mainland. And I just want to highlight some stats that I printed here. So looking at single family detached, 12.6%, double digit, right? Townhouse, 13.1% in the lower mainland. Apartments, okay, 6.9%, but trending, trending upwards, getting busier. And so, I mean, clearly you were right. And you were right probably even sooner maybe than, than you thought you'd be right. You're maybe not bullish enough. Yeah. Could, could, Are you guys a little too also, bearish? I would be great if you guys could also share those stats with our wives. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly. But, but here's, here's really what, you know, I mean, maybe to kind of frame the conversation, because we want to talk a, a little bit more about downtown. Downtown, if you look at Vancouver West, 
It is one of the lagging markets. We're up about 3.8% in the last six months. And Kits is probably the driver. Yeah, and Kits and Fairview are are probably some of the bigger drivers in that market. So downtown is definitely lagging. And we know COVID kind of flipped the market on its head in a lot of ways. Can we talk about what's happening downtown right now? Yeah, you bet. And um, uh, Ryan and I and and our advisory group and and our senior team talk a lot about this. We've recently released a project in downtown uh, called The Block, and uh, it's doing very well. And we knew we were entering a market that was in the recovery stage. Downtown Vancouver is a higher end market. So it's, you know, West Side, Vancouver, West Vancouver, North Shore. These have been lagging markets as far as recovery uh, compared to the broader market. If we look at the broader market going from Squamish to Chilliwack, the higher end of, the, of all of the segments has been the, the one that's been the slowest to recover. And there's, there's nuances such as people uh, uh, searching for more space during covid but we are strong believers that uh, downtown is always going to be downtown. It is the primary energy center of uh, Western Canada and, um, and a, an incredible brand entity. And so when the employment base starts to continue to surge, we've got a lot of commercial buildings under construction there. When we see immigration flows really start to open up again, we believe that downtown Vancouver is going to see its recovery and will catch up to some of the other secondary markets uh, that have really already popped. So we are very confident downtown is going to be a strong market. There may be a little bit of cleanup. We see some completions and, and a little bit of uh, inventory around, but it's still a very undersupplied market. The rental market is part of that as well. The rental market has already started to really recover very, very quickly. During COVID, the beginning of COVID, uh, rental rates came off and they've fully recovered and they're pressuring upwards again. Provincial government is just releasing their their freeze on rental rates and rental rates across the board are, are moving up. So... Uh, I guess in summary, we do believe downtown condo market is, is going gonna, is gonna to jump and will hit our prediction of double-digit growth. We believe it'll surpass the highs of 2016 within the next 12 to 18 months as well. Wow. Okay. One question that I'm just curious to take, hear your guys' take on it is, so the luxury market has, across the board, it sounds like, has, has lagged. Somebody out there listening, I think, would think, okay, foreign buyer's tax hits 2016, downtown has dropped off, you know, even before COVID and, and we're starting to see that that trend reverse now. Was that kind of a, a crucial component to downtown softening or, or what, where do you see the the kind of factors in, in that, that softening in that market? I mean, in our space, if you were to think about the last ultra luxury building to pre-sell in the downtown core, you'd go back to 2017, which would be the butterfly hitting just in and around $2,000 a square foot, or sorry, $3,000 a square foot. Right. Two would have been a massive discount. <laughs> that was Cameron's discount, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, but in and around $3,000 a square foot, built by Bosa, uh, incredible brand behind it. You know, our perspective is that luxury real estate is typically a function of foreign investment, right? And also a function of international travel. And so there's no question that some of the policies that impacted 2017 and 2018 as a result of speculation tax have a short-term impact. But our expectation is Cameron already shared. You can expect the luxury market to do very well in the downtown core over the next 18 months. We're, we're hearing those rumblings from many active agents that specialize not in $3 million or $5 million purchase prices, but that $10 to $40 million purchase price across British Columbia. There's far more demand today than there ever has been in the past when we look back over the last 18 months. And as we expect uh, departure gates around the world to begin to open up, Right. If that and and some of us thought that that was going to be this fall, it feels like it's more likely next spring. But that's one marketplace that 
both of our perspectives believe is going to do really well. You have Bosa's next program coming to market. We're just around the corner on 1515 as well. They're expected right. to begin their sales program in October. We're all very excited about this. I think that they'll push the envelope in terms of price per square foot. They have a really unique offering there uh, and they have a really strong brand, both Kingswood and Bosa being um, stakeholders in that project. You know that with both those brands behind it, they're going to make thoughtful decisions and it's going to be a very special program. And so as that brings that price per square foot back up along throughout the downtown core in specific areas, I think you're going to see a trickle-down effect. And so we get excited about the downtown core when you think about resale values today, whether it's $1,100 or $1,300 a square foot, thinking about the buildings, or you're thinking about, you know, this is a little bit more selfish, but you think about the block. I would guarantee that 12 months from now, we're sitting in this room again, if you guys would have us back, and we're looking at Block as being an incredible buy at its price point today, right? But it takes some foresight. You have to understand what is the inventory that's coming? What are the land buys on that inventory? What do they have to achieve for price per square foot? And that's where the offerings that are out there today have tremendous value for what, if, if you're looking for value to grow over the future. Is pre-sale like a litmus test for market confidence in a lot of ways, like where people see the future of, of an area going? I think pre-sale is unfortunately a symptom of a massively undersupplied marketplace, right? Um, yeah, that's interesting. We know we know that we have a, so many home buyers that that have real home buying needs today. That's typically a function of transition of life. So whether you're downsizing, you're upsizing, two families coming together, two individuals working downtown coming together, those individuals need housing stock. And unfortunately, we have our provincial and our municipal leaders have made a commitment to constraining that supply. Uh, it might not have been a purposeful commitment, but they have. And the end result is, is that not enough housing fast enough. And as a result, we see pre-sale demand as high as it's ever been. And our expectation is that's going to continue. So I'm interested in, and, you know, not necessarily talking exclusively about block, but what we've seen downtown has been, you know, the, the crazy strata windups of 2017, say, the development permit boards on certain sites that, you know, you look and it was meant to launch in 2019 or whenever, and and there's been this stall downtown, right? Just curious to hear about Block. So it sounds like in terms of kind of price per square foot there, but also why it was launched right now, like it, it sounds like you guys are kind of in that stage where you're like, okay, this this can fly. This makes sense. If we start, if Cam starts talking about Block, we're going to be here all day, but, <laughs> but I'll pass the mic over to him on that one. You know, I, I think your transition question from supply and, 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 and into block is, is part of the story. So a project such as 1515 that Ryan mentioned uh, or the block, you know, these projects will take three and a half years plus to manifest. So they really don't satisfy the short to medium term supply needs. So if you think about that, we're going to see 10,000 new jobs plus or minus coming into downtown Vancouver in the next four to five years. We simply do not have that housing supply. It just does not exist. So in theory, these things make sense when we think about supply and demand and, and, and dripping out the supply to meet the demand. But it doesn't happen like that. It happens in these lumps and it's these pendulum swings. And so this, this gap in the market that we're seeing right now is going to show up. It's going to show up imminently. There's going to be a resurgence in, in um, immigration, a resurgence in employment in downtown Vancouver as well as a resurgence in confidence in downtown Vancouver. And there's no supply to satisfy all of those alignment of planets. And so we will see not a steady growth, but we'll see a jump forward. And then it'll stabilize at a new plateau. We'll see these jumps. And so specifically to block, as, as Ryan said very, very uh, correctly, you know, we are confident 
that in 12 and 24 months from now, and by the way, the building will be far from completion in 12, 24 months from now, it will be an incredible purchase today. And I'm, you know, we're being biased to block, but I think anyone that is looking at downtown and they looked at all the options and bounced, you know, found something that suited them best or, or, or something that was uh, suited their investment criteria, I think it would be a great medium to long-term decision. It's, it's not too dissimilar to Amber and Camby Street. Right. When you think about where Aragon sold that building at as finished product, it was, you know, in the in the mid to low eleven hundred dollars a square foot. You know that you can't bring wood frame and Camby Street to that uh, to market at that price in the future. We just mm-hmm. we all knew it. And those that purchased there have done incredibly well in that purchase price. And Block is the exact same example. The programs that are in market today are only possible because of a really strong land buy and a lot of foresight by Marcello and Amicon. And without that acquisition at that point in time, there's no way that blog could be at the value that it's offered at today. So in terms, and I know this was, I think it was Ryan last time, but I remember you guys are are always good at sticking your neck out in terms of like, here's where the price per square foot's gonna be in 18 months. So just thinking about, not necessarily exactly, but can we talk about say a blended price per square foot of that project and where you guys think downtown's headed in you know in the next two three years? Are you asking specifically about the block? I'm asking specifically, yeah. So block block pricing as a, as a as an example of new construction downtown that sounds like it's uh, priced well and where we think you know just with all the market conditions where we think we'll be in 24 months. Well, I'll have a crack at that, and I would wouldn't mind Ryan, you uh, following up with with your thoughts. You know, certainly since we've been coming on, the theme has been uh, one of of medium to long term optimism. Uh, and I guess in our 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 place, you know, in our role, we, we we need to exist that way. But but the forces are just so strong that it supports what I'm about to uh, prediction that that I'm about to make. Block currently is uh, in the seventeen hundred and eighteen hundred dollar range in that range, and for those of the listeners that uh, don't know where that is, it's uh, right uh, almost kitty corner from Terry Fox Plaza, just a, a block down from the new Amazon Canadian headquarters. Incredibly well located, two block walk to to Water to Georgia Street and uh, and Yale Town, so it's really really central. And the vision of that project was not to go ultra high end. It was to for downtown to be something a little more approachable, if I could say $1,800 a foot is approachable. And of course, uh, you know, rumors are that 1515 by Bose and Kingswood is going to be, you know, 2400 in an ultra luxury building. So really kind of comparing a BMW Mercedes to a Ferrari Lamborghini. And so uh, working very closely with Amicon, we felt that positioning this project slightly more affordable, but still, you know, this is going to be a very, very high end offering and incredibly locate, incredible location. Targeting seventeen eight ten dollars a foot, we thought was right in the sweet spot for the medium term. Long-winded way to get back to your your question. I think that that would be approaching two thousand dollars a foot in twenty four months from now. So you know we think it's a great great purchase today. This this is a, a an entire city block that includes uh, what will be a, a world class boutique hotel also uh, on the city block. And so the developer is very anxious to get moving with this project and get rolling. It's not just a single pure residential play for them. And so it's a critical that they get going. So they also believe in the long-term value of the location. So uh, I agree with Ryan. This is a, a great buying opportunity for downtown. Yeah, I, I, I agree with Cameron. I think, so 200 bucks a foot on I think, top. I think 10, 10, 10 to 15% is what we're talking for downtown pre-sale. And it's hard to imagine how it could be anything different than that. We have the Bank of Canada committed to, to QE spending all the way up until October. It's, those are big numbers that, that uh, and how they're injecting cash back into the marketplace. And then we ideally have the benefits of 
a very active uh, international traveler moving into 2022 who, with a worldly perspective on values, can recognize what is happening overseas, what is happening in, in markets that are far more expensive in centralized energy centers like the like Metro Vancouver, specifically the downtown core. And our belief is, is that $1,800 to $2,000 a square foot continues to look very cheap on a world stage. Can we, so, and I, I just want to go back to, so we're talking pre-sale here. We're talking pre-sale numbers. And at the beginning of the show, Cameron, we were talking about how downtown is sitting in the past six months around the, uh, you know, call it the 3% or in that range. So we do think that we'll get to double digits in the next 24 months downtown then in the, in the resale market as well. Yes, absolutely. I think the resale market provides some incredible value. There's, there's quite a gap now between resale and presale, and uh, that gap will tighten up. It's just such a moment in time, right? We know that the driving force in the past of the downtown core has been the proximity to amenities and the proximity to the office. That is unhinged right now. It still has not returned. We have the Liberal government very purposeful in terms of how they're encouraging many to, to maybe in some industries, coming back into the workforce and other industries, not so much. And as that pendulum has swung out, we've seen secondary markets run and they're still running, right? We should talk a little bit about Caban and, and just an incredible outcome there in Kelowna, another incredible outcome in Squamish. But you, you can look a little bit closer. You can look at what's happening in the Fraser Valley, where basically every sales to listing ratio in the Fraser Valley is double that of Vancouver last mm-hmm. month. Right. Um, and so that pendulum's still out and it hasn't come back. And if you're thinking about a moment in time, when, when would I want to buy an energy center such as the downtown core? When would that be? Well, you'd probably want to do it when the relationship between someone's home and office is not important, which is right now, right? right? Which is, has a huge mover on, on demand. And our belief is, is that as that pendulum, maybe not swings all the way back to what it was pre-COVID, but it will swing back. And when that happens, that's when I think you can start to see that price appreciation really escalate. And that's what Cameron's talking about. And that's why that, that timeline of, of 12 to 18 months is really important. Yeah, I mean, I was accidentally in Cloverdale a couple couple weeks ago. <laughs> Once a week, he finds himself accidentally. Then. <laughs> but no, I was, you know, it was a, a colleague of ours was out out of town, and uh, uh, I was writing something up for one of his clients, and like the, you know, we operate downtown surrounding areas, and talk, you want to talk about uh, different marketplaces? It was. It's nuts out there. It's white hot, right? Like, it just, it, it, I think we were one of 12 offers on this place. And like, you know, we missed the mark by 100K or something. Like, it's crazy, the townhome market out there. And and even in Richmond, I think, um, you know, it's just, it's like a different, it feels like a different planet than, yeah. than downtown and the surrounding areas. Funny that you say that because right after this session together, uh, I'll be making my way up to Fraser Valley. We're filming our, our monthly pre-sale pulse. It's Fraser Valley edition. So we'll shoot that in our office out there. And so because of that, we're very attuned uh, with that marketplace. And it is, it is incredible to see the depth of demand. Our business partner out there, Brittany Reimer, who is also managing director of that office, just you know, can't say enough for how hard it is to push program pricing fast enough as we launch. The, the, you know, you'll have in places like Berquitlam, you'll sell you know, 100 or 200 homes within a very short time frame on launch. In those locations, it's so under undersupplied that wood frame is being literally being knocked out in in fifteen to twenty minutes if you have the pricing to support that, which is very different than Vancouver. And it's so it's so interesting, right? Like and and Surrey City Center as well, right? Like there's buildings selling out in twenty four hours or whatever, and then you you know you walk from uh, our office at Drake and Homer, and you look around and go, 
we're in the epicenter. This is the best place. Like I, I, you know, it never gets old. It's the best place to be. And it's like, you know, the market's is decently busy, but you're thinking, what's going on? Like, it doesn't make sense, right? Uh, in a lot of ways, it just doesn't make sense what's how slow downtown is right now. I, I can't sit through one of these without talking about immigration. It's impossible for me to do, as, as you guys, I think, uh, have heard my, in the past. And what uh, COVID has done is it's really made us into a more of a closed market. And we can't see ourselves as a closed market. We have to see ourselves as an open market. So we've seen the reshuffling of the deck. We've seen we've seen some people move from different areas in search of space or recreation as they as they value things a little bit differently. But as Ryan mentioned earlier, when the connection back to the office starts to increase, and it will it will you know it's the world has fundamentally changed. It won't won't go back the way it was, but there will be um, demand for central locations. Prime locations will always be a premium, and. Our immigration numbers are forecasted to be 1.3 million new Canadians in the next three years. That's our that's our targets. And if we increase those targets, we would those numbers would increase. There's Canadians international brand is is number one in the world. And when those immigration numbers start to flow back into Canada, the, the new immigrant into Canada chooses the prime locations first. Downtown Toronto, downtown Vancouver are their number number one choices. And depending on affordability, they go down from there. And as a result, we don't believe there's going to be any gap left behind from people choosing new locations. So there are people within Metro, uh, Metro Vancouver that are moving further away from their place of work, but they're not leaving a hole behind. Mm-hmm. We're going to see this massive wave. The biggest immigration wave Canada has ever seen in its history is upon us. It will happen, as Ryan mentioned earlier, it could happen in the Q1 of, of 2022, could be two, uh, Q2, depending on COVID and when, when that surge happens, but that surge is coming. And when it comes, I don't think we are prepared as an industry to be able to accommodate that supply. And projects that are in market now that we're talking about, they won't be delivered for three to four years, most of them. It's right. like buying Bitcoin in 2020 or buying Tesla in 2019. Like that's, that's the position that the downtown core is at right now. Can we talk a little bit, get a little bit more granular about downtown? So, you know, the, it's, it's very hard to find building sites downtown. I know you guys are focused on new construction, but but how energy is shifting downtown, where are the centers, is there is there a way that you're seeing downtown just because of the, the way your position in the industry that, say, an average person isn't? Like, is downtown fundamentally changing in terms of, of where people are and where people live? And maybe to piggyback on that, are there, are there certain sub areas downtown that are ripe for growth? So I guess, I guess the, first, the first question is, is Vancouver fundamentally different? And I know it takes me a lot longer to drive anywhere downtown today than it did three years ago. <laughs> that's true. Right? Yep. Avoid that's, Richards. Yeah, avoid Richards. <laughs> and soon any major one-way road. Yeah. Right? I think that downtown is probably the best version of itself right now. And it's only going to continue to get better. It, you know, the, the focus of city planning is all about access within the core, from the core. And I think that that's quite interesting when you think about renting or, uh, or, or home ownership inside the downtown core, it is built around uh, bike and foot traffic and uh, supporting commuting routes that make it very easy to get across the city, uh, sort of to get across the downtown core in under 15 minutes. And so the belief would be that, that as you know, the pendulum swings back and people find the downtown core again to support the demand for commercial and office space. You have over 2 million square feet of office space being built right now in the core active projects. And many of the retail at grade that is supporting that growth is incredible world-class eateries, 
live work destinations, you'll have the ability like places like the post to literally never leave that block if you chose to, right? And still have a very fulfilled life. Mm -hmm. uh, that's coming very soon. And once established, uh, once programs like that are established, that's going to shift that entire community. So we might be biased. Our office is on the 800 block of Homer Street. It's in the epicenter where we think a lot of that evolution is going to happen. The energy district is, is definitely moving a little bit closer to maybe the entertainment district today, right? And so when you think about uh, proximity to, to stadiums, you think about eating, you think about the, pl uh, the play that Robson and Georgia have had in the past, it's going to feel very different in the future. Hmm. I'm glad. I'm glad you mentioned uh, the post. I, you know, I, I noted down here as you're chatting, Ryan, that the, the the city is is when I was to say moving east, it's not. It's growing east is a be, is a better way to say it. It's growing east. There's some holes in the donuts. The gap between downtown core and and Gastown, Chinatown, Crosstown. That gap is getting filled up with projects such as the post. You know, in due course. You know, hopefully we'll see a new new incredible world class art gallery close to where Queen Elizabeth Theater is now, where the the bus depot is. So we're really going to see that gap fill up. And there's, as you mentioned in, in your, your question, there's so little new development opportunity. So, so the granular part really matters. It wasn't too long ago, downtown was downtown. You could sort of walk to anything, you know, but now, but now look, you know, within a small block radius does matter. What's your adjacency? What does your two block radius look like? And, uh, you know, the other area, of course, that's interesting is the West End. The West End is already incredibly densely populated, but all that, all that housing was built you know, 40 years ago plus. And so a lot of that's very tired. It's, 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 um, it's, it's wanting to be replaced, but um, it really required the city's uh, support, their new OCP and their new planning to really release that product. But it's, but it's mostly being replaced, not a whole lot of new density coming into that area. There are, there are some planned projects, there are some sites, but not enough that's going to substantially move the needle. But I think it's going to get cleaned up. I think it's going to really, you know, find its, find its, uh, I guess, uh, you know, uh, uh, you know, find its stride. This Sorry, I, I'm struggling right there for the word. There, <laughs> <laughs> I know. We'll have to edit that out. We'll edit that out. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'll, I'll see if I can pick that up. Um, you know, the West End, the West End is another area that is that is uh, really going to start to to move. Uh, there's not a whole lot of new density that that is possible there. A lot of the housing there is uh, is 40 years uh, old or, or older. And, uh, you know, the city has recently gone through the rezoning there. There's some sites there, but that, that area is going to also change and, and switch the dynamic as well in the city and allow the, allow the new residents to have some options in the West End area as well. So I do see the city more growing than it is kind of shifting. It's hard to not see the writing on the wall for the West End uh, with all the, you know, and the type of product that's coming to the West End as well. I, I really like Cameron's response to that question because there's these cultural undertones that places like, Denman have, the West End, and um, maybe even Cole Harbor, right? And I'm trying to think as, as you speak to that, I, I'm trying to think the last time that I ate at a restaurant in Cole Harbor. Right. Right. And it was, was Cardero's probably. It was. And, yeah. and when, when did, was the last time you guys ate at Cardero's? No. It, yeah, you're right. You're right. A long time ago. Yeah. yeah. And I wouldn't go to Denman to have a meal either. Right. Right. But I can think of the number of times that I find my way into Yaletown. Because I just think about the street activation and it's it's an experience, right? Like mm -hmm. I, at, at ground level, it is an experience. It's a great place to, you know, uh, to jump on a date with your wife or significant other and, and kind of like it's entertaining to walk those streets. So Yaletown has that and it's a really special vibe. Very different vibe from what's happened in uh, along Davies Street in the West End. Definitely different than Cole Harbor. I believe, though, that the most interesting part of Vancouver five years from now is that intersection around the post, uh, maybe down to, to Robson Street. You're going to see a ton of growth in there. You're going to see great eateries. I think you're going to see a lot of lifestyle plays. And it's going to have this really interesting vibe that kind of marries maybe the uh, 
I don't want to say grunge, but like the grit of maybe parts a little bit further east, right? With what Yale 10 has been to all of us, I think, for the last decade. So so who stands to benefit? Is it is it Crosstown, do you think? Or is it Gastown? Or is it kind of all of the above, like the whole northeast quadrant of downtown? I would say that the fringe moving south probably has more to benefit than necessarily moving north. If I was to, if I was a bet. So when I think about Crosstown and, and you know, we, we, I played a role in, in, in the sales and marketing of those programs way back in the day. So we, we, uh, I worked on the sales programs of, of, of all of Townline's product along the 500 block of BD Street. So very familiar with that part of the world and, and who those home buyers are. That's a very different individual that's purchasing in that location relative to maybe what we're talking about around, in and around block in that, in that, um, uh, that, that Georgia to Robson corridor. Right. I agree with that, Ryan. And, and I would say that if there's a couple of holes in the donuts of downtown Vancouver, and as those holes fill up, you know, around St. Paul's Hospital, that area around um, the, um, the area between Yale Town and, uh, and the post, the area, Ryan, that you're referring to, as those holes fill up, those are the areas that probably have the most to benefit from the change in the next five to 10 years. So maybe uh, this is a bit of a, a strange question or, or a tough question to, to frame, but to put a fine point on it. If, if, if a listener out there is looking at like buying a one, one and Dan, maybe a two bed and they're like, just strictly investment, where's, where, where's the best place to be buying downtown right now? And, and looking for insight because you guys kind of see the future, right? You see what's coming in a way that a lot of people in Vancouver don't, where would you buy? I like the old towers that were built 10 to 15 years ago along Nelson and Smythe basically from mainland all the way up to Robson, or sorry, all the way up to Granville, right? So you have, you have a lot of the old polygon buildings that have gone up there. A lot of that inventory was built in 2001, all the way through to 2007. They have great, you know, corner two bedroom plans, 850 to 925s. They have some really nice 560 and 581 bedrooms, buildings like that, that are aged, that are right on the fringe, kind of that middle ground between what's happening in Yale Town and definitely, you know, the growth that we're talking about. I feel like those buildings are going to be great opportunities long-term. Uh, it's safe. Uh, and you, I think that you can actually count on that tech investment that the city is making that's going to fall out of places like the post. And, and for some, they will want to, be, they will want everything to happen within the two to three blocks of their home and others will look a little bit further out and, uh, and finding that bridge maybe uh, to Yale town is something that could potentially be a very smart investment. Yeah. You know, when I think about investment, um, you know, I think about uh, what's, what someone's goals, you know, cash flow appreciation. And as Ryan said, you know, well-located, good bones, not getting too romanced by by uh, you know the the, the granite countertop um, and and really just thinking about if if someone's not going to be living in it what kind of rent they're going to be able to generate for the long term and will it hold its value and so you know I think if uh, someone can uh, turn turn a blind eye a little bit to 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 something that might be newly finished and you know get a little bit razzled by that then I think then I think that uh, you're going to find much better long term value in something that that um, is is uh, a little more in the middle of the bell curve. We're talking about resale though. And, I, and, yes. and our perspective is, you know, if I had to choose between resale and pre-sale for today's marketplace, I would choose pre-sale at the current values because in many cases, those programs would not be able to be viable by many other developers purchasing anything more recently. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Like they are below uh, opportunity costs of where we are at today. And so as a result of that, you know, that towers have power pricing has to go up. It's not too, too dissimilar to the same conversation that, that we had around Camby Street, right? If you're able to buy th- 
you know, any, any uh, six story along Cami at $1,300 a square foot, that's probably a very good buy because any developer that owns land up and down that stretch has a minimum target of 1450 to 1550 a square foot, if not higher. Maybe just thinking about the the buyers you guys are seeing downtown, like who is it mainly investors uh, that I guess block would be the the example. like who who are the who are who's coming through the display center right now in terms of end users, investors, age? I'm just curious to see who's who's really interested in in the new product it's It's not too dissimilar to the homebuyers that are walking through the majority of our offerings right now. We have active tower product in almost every major marketplace right now throughout the lower mainland. And when we, with some of the intelligence and technology pieces that we talked about earlier, one of the core competencies of that platform is data collection so that we can try to understand the relationships between lead generation and lead conversion. And so when we look at that as it applies to our home buyers, what we're finding is, is that many of them are who you'd expect them to be. International demand is far lower today than it was four years ago. The majority of our home buyers uh, live in our residences within Canada. The majority of them are purchasing uh, for themselves or for family members. And the majority of them have an optimistic perspective about where Vancouver real estate is going over, over the next 10 years. You know, that, that's painting with a very, a very you know, wide brush. But Ultimately, from our perspective, the downtown core buyer demographics are not substantially different than the buyer demographics of Berquitlam. Residences that are committed to that neighborhood, that understand that neighborhood, feel confident that that neighborhood is going to, going to continue to grow. We, we promised you that we would get you to uh, the Valley oh, by 1230. Man. And we've got about okay. five minutes left. And I, we, we've got this segment called the Five Wire. Last time you were on... Uh, I think I think I got Atomic Habits from that conversation, oh, yeah, and that's which I've now listened to uh, about four or five times. It helps keep me disciplined. So can you guys stick around for that? Yes, absolutely. Okay, so question number one is uh, favorite bar or restaurant? Oh, man. You asked me this last time, though, and I uh, I probably used up my uh, my answer. <laughs> um, you know what? I'm going to... I'm gonna sp- make a long shot here. And that is my wife and I, uh, my wife's name, Sarah, we, we love to, to, when we're not planners, we don't make reservations. So we always go to restaurants that has a bar that we can just, you know, always jump in and grab the bar. So, um, I'll say, uh, the wine bar at La Quercia, we, uh, we, uh, were able to jump in there twice in the last six weeks spontaneously. And it was absolutely fantastic. Great one. Right on. I'm going to go same, um, same spirit, but different venue. Annalena, one of my favorites, uh, one of my wife's favorites as well. It's probably our go-to on the West side. I think the second question is, is we've changed it. And yeah. this was, uh, so we should have given you some warning. We should have gave you some warning, maybe. Favorite band or song? You're going first this time. Brian Adams, <laughs> Summer of 69. <laughs> <laughs> That's a first. I like it. <laughs> How, sure. can you, how can you not have a smile on your face though when <laughs> that's ripping on a summer night? Uh, is Katy Perry a band? <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh man, I'm old school. Man, you, you could list off list yeah. off a dozen. Yeah, I, I I probably in all seriousness would have to go something from GNR though. Interesting. Yeah, that is interesting. A, a, a good friend who's a huge GNR fan in the development world. I feel like we've had so many hip hop groups on our show lately. People talking. It's, I feel like a lot of people in our industry listen to rap music. Wow. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Perhaps well, change, surprisingly. To change it up, so I um I'm a 
big fan of uh, my wife and I love music. But I'm a big fan of Prince going back in the heyday. And then my um, my brother in law bought me um, a big Prince T shirt that I wear as my pajamas. And so it's like I've got this really <laughs> awesome, sexy Prince, and it's like, super and, long. And it's really long, and it's and it's and it's Prince riding his big purple bike, and it's purple rain. It's just so cool. It's just awesome. <laughs> Do you ever wear that to, to go out and get the paper or <laughs> <Yeah>. the mail? <laughs> like some scaring away, rings and scaring like, oh away all my neighbors. It's <laughs> a yeah. paparazzi opportunity. Uh, what's really exciting about that is uh, is we're we're actually going to share some some imagery of that uh, as a solo release part of the podcast. So absolutely, we'll have that in the show notes. Yeah. <laughs> One uh, book you would recommend our listeners, and uh, I, I'm thinking, I know you guys are are voracious readers, uh, so you can probably come up with one that you didn't bring up last time. You know, I, I love uh, either fiction or, sorry, uh, history or historical fiction. And so um, uh, my daughter is super into the uh, Alexander Hamilton musical that's been released. Right, she was yeah. so into it. And she made us watch. I absolutely loved it. It's now on our list. We're going to go to New York and watch it. So oh, I'm reading right now. I'm halfway through the Alexander Hamilton autobiography. It's a beast, but it is so fascinating. It's absolutely um, uh, really riveting. And so uh, that's maybe an oddball, but that's what that's what I'm reading right now. Wow. Okay. That is uh, yeah, more intellectual than me. <laughs> but <laughs> It's an escape. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'd probably go. So I was just checking my audible of, of, uh, of a few titles that are ones that I just absolutely love. And I was taking a look at which one I've read the most. And, and in the last 18 months, the one that I have read the most is Endure by Alex Hutchinson. And that book is fascinating because what it really specializes in and talks about is is not is is something that I've shared in the past um the power of just dedication and focus on on something that like moves you right and and the amount of struggle it takes to master something uh and it it talks about so many of these epic moments in sport where somebody achieved a certain level of success and then ultimately failed big like really big and their comeback through that to have to endure the the mental and the physical um uh, the thresholds in order to get back to the peak. And so just hearing more about loss and struggle and then that hardship is something that I really, this love. is, this is putting me in mind of the U S open. Uh, I don't know if you guys watch tennis, but this is, oh. th those, those are the stories yeah, and you wow. watch Naomi Osaka, for instance, who lost to the Canadian Leila Fernandez and like the first round and yeah. got knocked off being number one. And, yeah. Anyway, even the book, even the book opened by Andre Agassi. Yeah, is that's similar. We talked about that on this yeah. show before, but yeah, such a great book because it, it's it's the same concept, right? Yeah. It's just like show up and work hard every day. Yeah, yeah. I do feel like tennis is, and maybe because I I really feel like the last two weeks I've spent watching. Uh, you know, I was recording it all and spending all night by myself watching tennis matches. But tennis, more well, I guess all sport, right? But tennis, for some reason, I think it's that single person out there when he watched like the big wins the big fails it's so epic and kind of scale um anyway great what's, what's great. really what's really hard today more so than ever is that is that it's it's not a it's not an instagrammable opportunity and so what people don't recognize is how hard it is for those people to get to the positions that they're in right like, like the hours right you can't you can't put that on social yeah. Right. And as a result of that, we don't value work ethic the same way today that we did maybe previously. And 
you know, so you think about these individuals that are reaching the pinnacle of their career, tennis or golf or, or sport or, or, or maybe even in business, it's like, it just doesn't account for like everything that they've sacrificed. So any, I, I find some of the reasons that I'm gravitating towards right now really speak to that. Kobe is one that I've really fallen into that I'm just so fascinated by. I didn't celebrate Kobe the same way while he was alive as he does as, as today, but I'm just so uh, uh, appreciative of, of his work ethic. That's a great one. Uh, one piece of advice that you'd give your 18-year-old self. So my 18-year-old son just moved out into university 10 days ago. So I've been oh, wow. giving him lots of advice <laughs> <laughs> from like, um, you know, pick up your stuff off the floor to, uh, I don't know, eat a healthy breakfast. So I'm not sitting here <laughs> thinking about one piece of advice. Oh, man, uh, so much. I, um, uh, I think... Um, continue to be a dreamer. You know, my, uh, I think I reflect the parallels between what my son's going through and what I'm going through. And, um, uh, you know, I just, I'm so excited for his stage of life and, uh, how this, the whole world is his oyster. And so, uh, I, I am really pleased that, uh, he sees it with a very wide lens and still dreaming, dreaming wide. Is he in the city or he's at UBC, but he's living uh, on campus with his best friend. And I think they're getting in a whole lot of trouble. And it's, it's going to say, yeah, avoid the beer bong. That's <laughs> yeah. advice number That's one. That's good advice. It's <laughs> <laughs> not part is, of dreaming, is, isn't it? Is, is that good advice? <laughs> at least my perspective on this today, my daughter is, is my oldest is seven years, Brooklyn, and my youngest, uh, Harper, is four. And if I was to think about something that we do talk a lot about even today, and that I hope that it stays as a conversation when she's that age, it's, it's, it's to be very purposeful, um, like value your energy and be very purposeful in how you direct it, right? Um, be passionate about where you're putting it. And I think um, that's, that's something that resonates with my wife and I, and it's something that, that we try to do a really good job of encouraging our girls to think about. Hmm. Yeah. I have a, my daughter's almost 10 and, uh, it is. I well, I was thinking about this a lot when I was watching these eighteen-year-olds knock off the best tennis players in the world. <laughs> I was thinking, the it, it it just makes me think of that, right? Like, be purposeful with your energy. Um, it's hard to kind of figure out how much how purposeful a kid should be, right? But uh, but yeah, that's really interesting. Um, last question for you guys, and uh, and really appreciate your time. Something you have bought, and you guys have answered this, but maybe there's something new. Something you have bought for under $1,500 um, in the last, let's say, six months that has transformed your life or, or made it better in some way. Six months. <laughs> something All right, a year. <laughs> <laughs> That's tricky. Um, okay, I'll go. I, I think the last, the last time I said Peloton, wasn't that right? I believe so, it, yeah. it definitely uh, has been a game changer for, uh, for our family or my wife and I anyways. Um, I'm going to say um, my Audible subscription because it's just been able, you know, to, uh, to have that constant flow of reading, albeit, you know, when I'm out walking the dog or driving the car, I think that that really uh, uh, has been a... It's not even close to $1,500, but man, it's just been... It's, it's kind of the best, isn't it's it? It's kind I mean, of the, for the for for the car, for walking, for everything, It's right? just just feeling like you can fill those gaps and and really just have, you know, I've shared my, my book about having that release, but it could be something productive. It could be a recreational, whatever. It's just been fantastic. Well, we, we talk about, it's funny, but we talk about how we went from reading like, you know, a handful of books to like 30, 40 books a year because of Audible, you know, and just being able to, I should say, listen to. Not great, yeah. but that's uh, the great debate that 
still still the verdict's out, right? <laughs> Did you actually read that book? Right. <laughs> and Ryan, we know you got to go, but do you have one? Yeah, I think so. Um, I wish I'd prepared for this one more too. Um, I, Cause I knew you guys were going to ask it. <laughs> uh, yeah. Last, last time I answered it, I think that I said Zwift, right? Yeah. I want to yeah. say that I said Zwift or maybe it was Pelham. I think it was Zwift um, uh, in online training. Um, I'm going to say, I'm going to say right now, something that I'm just absolutely loving is whoop. You know, it's something that I've been using for a while. I just renewed uh, a, a new subscription on it. Are you guys familiar with that? What is Whoop? Yeah, uh, I've heard of it. I've, it's, yeah, it's, some, it's something for yeah. like exercise, right? Yeah, so it's a Whoop band. It sits on your wrist and you never take it off. And the entire intent of it is all about uh, recovery. So it helps you understand, you know, what is the state of being that you're in today? Wow. And sort of look at every heartbeat of your that, that you might make throughout the day and night. And then I'll give you some recommendations on how you're sleeping and uh, and how you're recovering. And so that's that's a big mover, right? Because all of us, like young families, careers, there's a lot of stress as well. COVID's made it so tough on all of us. And so thinking about, you know, having a, uh, having a number that maybe is uh, the level that you're operating at every day, can, you can really uh, help yourself understand like how much should you be kind of be pulling back or how much should you be pushing forward? And is that in addition to an Apple watch or is yeah, that? It's similar though. I mean, yeah. not too dissimilar, but I mean, uh, the, the, the band itself is, you know, it's a game changer. It's, it's used by some of the most, uh, successful uh, athletes in the world. And it's, it's really all around the relationship between strain and recovery. Yeah. And it sounds like it's more like with an Apple watch, it collects all this data that I don't know what to do with. Yeah. Uh, it sounds, sounds necessary like... for this side of the table. Uh, yeah, I... <laughs> you should push I'm yourself your harder. <laughs> it's funny, you know, I've, I've, uh, I've gifted as a, to a number of my friends and, uh, and you don't need to be a high performance athlete to benefit from it. Like it's, it's really all about like just trying to understand a little bit yourself a little bit more. So like, what is the relationship maybe between alcohol and sleep? Or what is the relationship between eating and sleep or, or what is the relationship between, you know, how hard you're working out and, and, and your sleep. And I think that all of that just gives you some numbers to maybe live a little bit more of a healthy life. Well, maybe we'll leave it there. But before we let you guys go, how can people find out more about what both you guys are up to? And then of course, MLA, MLA Canada. Yeah. Love the question. Thanks guys. Uh, I'm just going to plug it for a second. Um, so we have MLACanada.com. That's going to give you easy access to all of the projects that we're selling throughout the lower mainland in Fraser Valley. And then, of course, we have our more regular subscriptions. So we have a daily newswire. This is really cool. It's a roundup of everything real estate that's happening in our marketplace. It makes it really easy for any of your listeners to understand what's going on in, in the various markets throughout the lower mainland. Uh, we also have the pre-sale pulse. This is a monthly edition, something that I'm taking off to to go record right now. That is a roundup of everything pre-sale and resale that's happened in the last 30 days. It's a ton of fun. It, uh, it's a video format too, so it's a little bit more digestible. And then of course, the subscription lists have come with a, a ton of incredible products. So jumping on those gives you access to anything that happens in between those regular rhythms. Awesome. Yeah, and just to plug, you guys are doing great stuff. Like the the stuff on downtown was the reason I was like, man, we got to get these guys back on the show. Uh, you're just putting out great content. Well, we're going to so. invite you every six months for your predictions and uh, we always enjoy having you. So thanks again for taking the time today and coming down to the studio. Matt, Matt, Adam, we uh, we love your show as well. Congrats for uh, your ongoing success with it. And uh, thanks for having us here today. The users need to see it. You know, the first time we came, it was plastic cups and, <laughs> and, and, and a weird space. And today it's like these beautiful mugs that are branded and uh, art, art and, on the wall. An incredible studio. So you guys are killing it. Thank you <laughs> so much. Out, BBC. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> Thank you.
So there you have it, folks, our discussion with President Ryan Lalonde and Executive Director Cameron McNeil of NLA Canada. Really enjoyed that conversation with Ryan and Cameron. Love having those guys in the studio. And this is quickly becoming my favorite Ryan Lalonde story. But the guy, if, if anyone knows Ryan Lalonde, he is a really, really athletic guy. He's kind of like the statue of David from the torso up, I'll say. I have no idea. Um, comes, <laughs> comes, bearing, comes bearing pastries, like uh, this box, like it was like, like it was, it was a giant box of pastries. A, like a, it, significant, a significant number of pastries. And, and from this like beautiful high-end bakery on the west side. And he, he plunks them down and you and I eat till we're almost sick. And then everyone at our office eats them. And, and then there's a few left. And as he's leaving, we say, hey, Ryan, you, you want to take a pastry for the road? And he turns to us and he goes, I don't eat that shit. <laughs> <laughs> don't get high on your own supply. Yeah, that's, uh, but it was, that it was, it's kind of the best. Like he brought it like he was like, guys like you eat that stuff. I don't eat that stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, it was great. It was great having those guys in the studio. It's always super fun hanging out with them. And man, they're bright guys. Yeah, no, it was. A, and and it's worth putting a fine point on on the takeaway from this conversation. These guys have called the market on the show before. They've got it right. And man, if you're looking to for for confidence in downtown, uh, just go back and listen to that again. Uh, the opportunities are there for the taking. And um I guess now it's in it's in every buyer's court, but uh, they, they no, also had the conversation. I, I I don't mean to cut you off, but they also called the dip on the west side. They called the west side right before it took off, and and granted, I you know I don't think they had predicted the COVID dynamic, but I remember Ryan Ryan explicitly saying, um, and Cameron was saying the same thing. But the the idea of the the east side the gap is too the gap is too narrow between the east side and the west side and it, the west side has to take off and and man was the west side busy and and Ryan bought over there right before it happened so i mean these guys are kind of continuously calling the market correctly so well, shout and, out to and, them and it makes sense it, yeah and it may, but it, as a final thought it makes sense because you know you think oh these guys are are uh, are literally selling projects across every market in the lower mainland. So, you know, from that perch, that high level perch, uh, you can easily see the trends and, uh, and they've isolated one today. So anyway, um, but what else do we have, Adam, before we cut for the day, we have Vancouver real This is our website. Of course, head over to Vancouver real for all things, real estate related. We have things like the live wire. We VIP access to residential projects. We got commercial projects, stats before anyone else. There is basically no reason you don't want to be signed up to the live wire. That's at VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. And we also have, for all of you now looking to monitor the downtown market or any market for that matter, private client services. Because Matt, if you are not using PCS to monitor downtown, you are standing still while the rest of us power walk by. You get sold prices, days on market. You basically get realtor level information free at your fingertips. It's super easy to set up. Sign up on the website, VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. We can help you set, up, set it up if need be. And we can also search block by block. So if you are excited about some of the really, really specific sub areas that we brought up in this podcast today, let us know. We can set you up to monitor, monitor those pockets. And um, 
you know, Amazon is coming. Amazon is coming. If you want to talk about that or anything else, give me a shout at 778-847-2854 or Matt at VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. Or you can try me at 778-866-4574 or Adam at VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. We also got that Kokomo line for those of you who want to talk about their real estate journey on the show or for any other inquiries, info at VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. And uh, yeah, I really hope next week, Adam, I'm back in the saddle and we're... Uh, and you're back in the this. studio. Uh, I'm, I'm in, I'm in uh, uh, Kokomo Studios right now. And I got to tell you, I think I tripped over a surfboard on my way into this place. It's, uh, it's feeling pretty good in here. That's where I want to go. All right. Well, we'll see you next week. <laughs> next week Take care. <laughs> Take care. Two thousand faces for radio. Subscribe today. Hey everyone, pardon the interruption. We just want to take a quick minute to thank the following sponsors who make this show possible. We want to take a minute to tell you about Holy House, a nonprofit organization that provides community building programs and tenant support services to low-income seniors, veterans, families, and vulnerable residents in the downtown east side and across the lower mainland. Melissa from our team has been volunteering at Holy House. Melissa, what's been your experience? Honestly, it's been so fulfilling just to spend a few hours a week in the community and watch how the staff really transforms these vulnerable communities from the inside out, starting with just small things, right? Playing games, drinking coffee, having some simple conversations that you wouldn't necessarily think are super fulfilling. And you come out just feeling like you've really made an impact and connected with the community. And you've been to multiple buildings, but you're playing games, drinking coffee. Yeah, you know, serving food sometimes. And you made some friends along the and way. And I've made some friends along the way. It's really helped me be more present, actually, in those moments of just, you know, realizing how simple life can be to make an impact, right? Fantastic. And if you want to learn more, you can definitely check out Jenny Conkin, co-founder of Holy House, who is a past guest fan favorite on the show, or head over to holyhouse.ca where you can donate or volunteer, and they're looking for both donations, and they definitely like volunteers. That's holyhouse.ca. Vancouver needs your help. Be part of the solution. We are also sponsored by Oakland Realty. This is our real estate brokerage, best brokerage in the city, hands down. If you are in the industry, a new agent, an aspiring agent, somebody just looking to make a change, new culture, new energy, new resources, head over to oakland.com slash join, type in VRP 2020. That's oakland.com slash join, type in VRP 2020. Not only do you get to meet Michael Morgan and the gang, the big wigs over at Oakland, you get a huge incentive for first going to oakland.com slash join, typing in VRP 2020. <laughs>